world of dog sports has lots of options to keep your dog's four paws busy. Let's dive deeper in four paws sports. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here for episode number two of the uh, Four Paws Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Neither, and here tonight again with me is uh, my co-host, Mary Drexler. Mary, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Jeff. How are you tonight? Uh, doing quite well. I'm getting uh, getting ready to head out to Chicago tomorrow and hunkering down for that uh, sub-zero temperature to go judge for the weekend. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm thrilled or if I'm just freezing cold at this point. <laughs> Hey, at least it's an indoor trial, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I might have to be sick real quick if it was an outdoor trial. But like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I can't, I can't do this. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> back from Texas this weekend, and it was uh, we were getting pretty close to uh, freezing temperatures. I think we had thirty-four, forty degrees, something like that, and. Here I'm walking around to say uh, regular black pants, and I just have my little pullover shirt on, and everybody else is bundled up like it's an igloo outside. I'm like, guys, what's wrong? And like, it's cold. How are you dealing with this? I'm like, it's, I don't know. This is nice. I'm comfortable like this. Yeah. I say if it was floating around freezing in Iowa right now, I'd be probably running around in a t-shirt and shorts. It didn't feel so good. It's been cold here. Right, right. Well, actually, uh, I walked out this afternoon after work and went to go train dogs outside, and I just had my hoodie on, and I'm like, it's a little muddy, but you know what? I've got uh, I've got UKI trial coming up for next weekend, so uh, I figure I might as well at least put the dogs over some contact equipment here, at least so that they remember what they're doing. Yeah. Here in Iowa, we moved our weed poles into the garage. The, gr- the vehicles have been kicked out, and the weed poles are in the garage, and <laughs> because oh, it, it is too frozen, we are... Um, <laughs> It's just like I've been known to shovel paths so we can practice contact equipment and some jumps and stuff, but it's too icy right now. So hopefully, hopefully it'll warm up. We don't, we don't like having to work quite that hard to train if we can get away with it, but. (laughs) Well, that's dedication that snowblower out. (laughs) But yeah, we, uh, so yeah, all the, all the vehicles are in the driveway and the weed poles are in the garage on top of some great mats and, you know, priorities, like I said. (laughs) Yeah, hey, you know what? That garage, that's that's just a space to put things there, including exactly. the train center. Exactly. I've trained a lot. I've trained a lot of stuff in the garage over the years. It can be done. So <laughs> Well, I got my little living room. That's all set up for uh uh all the uh, dog fitness stuff. So, you know, I got the treadmill and I got I got my treadmill and my elliptical in there. So, you know, I got all that stuff plus a couple other physical fitness stuff for the dogs, like the uh the dog pods. So so they're uh, they're all busy, all working out all throughout the day. Thankfully, I work from home, so I can stick them on the treadmill while I'm working out, and they all stick on it. Finally, Pix finally decided to be a big boy and uh, stay on the treadmill without me having to babysit him. So that makes my life a little bit easier. At least keep them busy. Yeah, that's great. That's actually something that our dogs are going to be learning to do too once we finish our great remodeling of the downstairs. Is we have a treadmill, and once it has a home, it will. They're all going to get to learn to be treadmill dogs. So when it's oh. crappy like this, we can get them some exercise safely because I worry about that ice. Like snow is fun. They all love, especially the Sammies love the snow, but I worry when it's so cold and it's icy. So Right. Well, I was going to ask you with the amount of snow that you guys got, have you gone sled dogging yet with the Sammies? You know, I actually, I have a scooter that I have not been brave enough to hook my current dogs up to. Um. <laughs> They have pulled individually. Like they, I have some tires of various sizes to teach them to drag, Yeah, but I don't have a sled. Um, and one of the things my, my younger dog is currently out, hopefully on maternity leave with her breeder. And my hope is that once she comes back that I can, I'll get brave enough to hook the two younger ones to up and see if we can do a little run on the scooter and survive. Um, <laughs> because the first time you hook them up and you, you know, you just, you got to let them go and you got to trust them that they're going to follow your training. And as opposed to other things that you do with your dog, when you're hooked up to some sort of, um, mode of transportation and your dogs are pulling you, you, you know, like if I'm, if my dog just forgets how to heal suddenly, 
nobody's going to get hurt. But right. <laughs> if they decide they've forgotten the leave it command and they go chasing after a rabbit, you know, I might end up in the next county. You never know. <laughs> so, so it's a different level of, of trust. And I'll be honest with you, it makes me a little nervous, but they've never given me any reason not to trust them. So I probably just need to bite the bullet and do it. Right. I remember my first time on the bike with dogs pulling up. That's a definitely a very interesting um, release of control. Cause while I do have brakes, but I have small brakes compared to them pulling and it was two dogs. I'm going, well, if they want to go, they're going to go with brakes or no brakes. Yep. Yeah. I used to bike my first two Sammy's, and um and they were good like especially the one my male was really good my sister was good peach was really good unless she saw something on the other side of the bike that might be edible and we almost died together a couple of times <laughs> and it's funny you know you train all these commands and you work on them and then when you see your life flashing before your eyes you're just like <laughs> you know none of those words come out but the meaning does get across, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing like your life flashing before your eyes with your dog intact to the uh, the scooter or whatever vehicle that you're riding behind to go, hmm, I wonder yeah. I wonder exactly how well my training next is gonna hold up. Uh-huh. That's a whole new that's a whole new level of testing your training where it's yeah. there's a lot more at stake, which actually I think gets us into tonight's topic really well is talking a little bit about what's at stake at a show when you um, are a new competitor or maybe you're somebody who gets nervous or maybe you're somebody who just I don't know gets more ring nerves than you'd like um, and you feel like there's a lot at stake one thing we wanted to talk to you guys about tonight was things to think about for a first time competitor some do's and don'ts and ways to I don't know, get yourself mentally prepared to go in the ring, whether you're doing obedience or agility or rally or anything, any dog sport. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's a perfect topic. Cause I remember I, uh, I hit you up late, uh, late one night last week. And I just had this go, you know what we need to talk about this week. We need to talk about those do's and don'ts. I, I think that's, that's just great. Um, I think part of it, um, I was listening to another podcast and I forget which one it was, but it was things of, I wish I could go back in time to my first dog for me be nitro and going, don't do this or do this. And, you know, nitro, I think would turn out a lot better than, I mean, not that he didn't turn out good, but I, I still see a lot of gaps in his uh, in his agility and his hurting that I wish I could go back and fix and I could have a different dog completely. But I love him regardless. It doesn't matter what he is now because it is it's a product project uh, a, a product of what I did with him and now I get to have a son to uh, go back and make it even better than what I have now or had from Nitro. Right. Well, and you know one thing, every dog is a learning experience, so. No matter what we know going into it, you always get done and you're like, oh, gosh, if I could do that part differently. I mean, I don't think anybody ever trains a dog because you get better if you're doing it right. You get better with every dog you train. So, you know, like I look at Hex, who's phenomenal. Yes, you're phenomenal. She's helping me right now. tonight. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, she's obviously been wildly successful, but there are things that I trained with her or did with her that I would make sure not to do again. Um just because she made me a lot better than I was when I started. And, you know, and of course, part of that is every dog we train makes us better. So they also suffer through our growing pains as we're trying to get better. And, you know, it's just, which I think is probably one of the biggest things to think about for a trainer or a competitor is just to not, to know that you're going to make some mistakes, to know you're going to look back on it. You're going to go, gosh, I wish I'd done this differently. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to be perfect because you won't be any more than your dog's going to be perfect. You know, allow yourself to make some mistakes. Yeah. I mean, our dogs are our reflection of what we put into them. And sometimes it's the right thing and sometimes it's the wrong thing, but uh, you know, we learn and we move on and we grow together as a team. And I think, you know, mistakes make a better team in the end of it all, because if you're always perfect, you never learn and you never grow. Exactly. 
first thing on my list, like for the don't part, is don't rush to trial your dog, regardless of whatever sport, whether it be agility, herding, obedience, rally. I think the biggest mistake I see so many people making is rushing to trial. Uh, I, I just see it as a big mistake because a lot of dogs, they're really not ready when they're 15 months. AKC lets you start at 15 months, UKI, you know, lets you do stuff at uh, 18 months for agility. But I really do think that while some dogs, yes, they are ready, I think just automatically as an owner and trainer and handler to say, yep, 15 months here, we've hit it and we're ready to go right now. I just, I, I see so many dogs that just are not ready for that at this point in time. What do you think? Oh, and I absolutely agree. And I do think it depends a little on the dog, the goals, and what you want to get out of the competition. Um, right. You know, we have to keep in mind that the dogs are not going to be as good when they get to a show as they are in training ever, probably. And so, absolutely. and also, you know, see, there's a lot of things to think about, like for rallying obedience, actually, dogs can start showing at six months old. Oh, yeah. Um no dog is going to be fully trained at that age. Um, that. Yeah, because if you if they're fully completely trained, then you have probably pushed your dog way, way too hard. Um, so I think you have to be realistic. Like I have shown some dogs when they were young in obedience and in rally. In fact, I actually just uh, set a record for Sam Yeds in obedience, um, a dog I trained for another owner um, is now the youngest Samoyed with a CD. And he was six months and 23 days old when he finished. That being said, going into it, I didn't go for perfection. I just wanted him to enjoy himself and have a decent understanding of the basics. And the other thing that I knew going into it is that he was going to make a lot of mistakes and I needed to be ready to help him and not be upset when he had trouble in the ring. And, and actually it was kind of, it was really cute. Both weekends that I showed him he did really well the first day and did a pretty good job of doing what he was trained to do and the second day he was out of brains and <laughs> and did some no. really embarrassing <laughs> but, it was, but it was fun like it didn't it wasn't upsetting to him because I just helped him I just gave him extra commands and talked him through it and you know knowing that the judge is marking NQs on my sheet and that's fine. That's, that's okay. And so I think part of it, you know, I've shown some very young dogs in rally and obedience. I tend to wait a little longer in agility because I have a breed, like the majority of the dogs I train, of course, are Sammy's and they're not um, maybe as quick to mature as some other dogs. So I'm not as quick to go in the agility ring. And so because I need them to have time to be fully developed physically before I finish, you know, jumping and weaving and that kind of thing. But, um, when I show a young dog, I go in of the mindset that I am expecting to help them. And I am almost more using it as a training in the ring opportunity versus, oh my gosh, my dog has to be really good. And so right. I think if you, if you have a dog that's confident and an honest worker and you are like, gee, I'd like this opportunity to train in the ring. Okay. But you need to go in there being ready to help your dog, being ready to um, accept a failure on paper and also being real, you need to be willing to read the situation. And if the dog gets out there and their smoke starts coming out of their ears, be willing to walk out of the course, be willing to walk out of the ring and not make it a, it where you make it a training opportunity to go, okay, I need to go home and work on this, not a scarring event for your dog, you know? So you have to, right. if you're going to go in early, you have to go in ready to help them more, I think, you know. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I mean, for instance, you know, Nitro, you know, he happened to have a trial right on his 15-month birthday. And, of course, you know, I had spent a lot of time working him and getting him prepped and ready to go. So, you know, and, I mean, you were there to watch his first trial there too, Mary. Yes. So yes. all those years ago, hard to believe, but uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I mean, he double cued for both novice, and he has some phenomenal times for such a young, naked dog. Here, he, I look okay. back and man, those pictures is like he's got no hair whatsoever. My my God, <laughs> he was so young back then. <laughs> yeah, was but, the baby. but then I look at it now with uh, Kyber, his son is yeah. I put him in again at fifteen months, but I only put him in for jumpers because I wanted to see 
you know, where is he at? You know, I, I had no expectations out of him whatsoever. I, I took, took a different mindset with him versus Nitro where I had expectations of him being perfect because Nitro, I didn't really know anything other than he was doing everything I asked him to do. And I had no reason to expect anything different. And I learned quite a bit with Nitro as you do with your first, second, third dogs that you trial. And with Kyber truly being my second dog, you can say, um, I walked into the jumper's ring and I just wanted him to work with me as a teammate at that point. I could have cared less of the cube, but I mean, he did. And, you know, I'm like, yay, that's exciting. And the rest of that weekend, he got his jumper's cues. And I think I only showed him twice. So he only got two of the three that he needed for his novice title. But he showed me that we were at the point where we were starting to become a team and he was working with me instead of against me. And, I felt like, okay, right, well, we can push our uh, we can push our training along now, and we can get contacts right because I didn't even have contacts at that point. I barely had six weaves with him, but I didn't really care because I wanted to see what the ring work was looking like. Because mm-hmm. is his brain going to stay in his head or is it going to melt? And it stayed in there, so it's like, okay, that was my determination. To go, all right, we can move on to the next stage of uh, training there. So, I think it's not necessarily don't rush, just just have realistic expectations of your dog before you walk into that ring. Of, you know, is he six months old? Um, is he a year? Is he fifteen months old? Depends on what what sport you're doing. What's your expectations? Are they realistic, or are you stretching those goals there? Exactly, and. Like I've had, you know, for instance, Sonnet, who now, you know, is almost four years old and working on her mock and her arch and everything. And when I, when she made her agility debut, she was having some trouble. And part of it was me, like, I accepted that her Q rate was going to be non-existent for a while, while I figured out what she needed from me to have her ready to go. Um, You know, so again, it, it just, it depends what you want out of it. And even if your dog, and especially like if you're, if you want to go in feeling like your dog is uber prepared and you're more likely to come out of there with a cue, well, the more time and training and proofing and, you know, matches and things like that, seminars, whatever, different places you can run your dog, the more likely it is that you're going to have the kind of debut that you are hoping for. The younger your dog is, the less experience they've had the more likely you need to be ready to go in there and understand that baby brains may be shooting sparks and you, <laughs> you just, you have to be ready for that. And, and, and that probably leads into one of my things that I think is really important to remember is just because the dog crashes and burns doesn't mean anybody has failed. It just right. means either it wasn't their day you haven't figured out what they need from you in warm up or even the energy level they need from you on course or in the ring um you know or maybe you need to adjust some of your training or proofing or whatever like all we're doing when we go in the ring with our dogs whatever sport it is is you're testing your training you know you're testing does my dog understand this job in this situation do i understand my job as a handler in this situation you know you're just testing it And so all you're doing is seeing what's good and what's not. And sometimes it may be something like maybe the training is good, but how to apply it. Like when I run with Hex, whether we're working obedience or whether we're working agility, she needs me to be pretty intense. Like, come on, we're going to do it and being really (laughs) kind of in her face. And then she gets kind of in my face and we run. When I'm showing Sonnet, if I am like that, she gets the zoomies and runs around and doesn't take obstacles and can't think in her healing patterns and all that stuff. I have to, with her, be a lot more, okay, here we go. Like she can't handle that mental intensity. She needs me to be much more lighthearted, much more easygoing, you know, and that was part of the learning process for her in the different things that we show in is I had to learn that she couldn't handle me being really intense you know, and so it's okay. Like, it's okay if you go in the ring and your dog loses their mind. Don't go out of the ring and be like, oh my gosh, we're never going to be able to do this. You go in the ring and go, okay, that didn't work. You know, right. and, and, you, and you regroup and you try. It's a learning process. And I have seen some very successful dogs go in the ring and just absolutely crash and burn. And it, and the handlers that have found success with them 
you know, they just realized they needed to try some different things until they figured out what the dog needed from them and what they needed as a to do as a handler. And that's, it's okay. Like it's not the end of the world. You get to try again. So, you know, (laughs) I feel like that last statement is very, very applicable to myself and picks because while picks is a totally different dog than the border collies, while he's very fast and very responsive, his ability to handle pressure is so far away from what the border collies can do. You know, Kyber and Nitro, they thrive under pressure. They love it. Picks, he will wilt under pressure uh, when it comes to my mental pressure on him. So I have to remember, take that deep breath and go, all right, let's happy time. You know, hey, Picks, yay, yay, Picks. And I got to get him all excited and then get him set. Whereas with Kyber and Nitro, I just tell him, you know, get between my legs and lie him down. Or I have Nitro stand nowadays because he's getting older. But um, yeah, I mean, Kyber is like, all right, I got this. I don't, you know, just tell me where to go, Dad. We're ready to go. And Picks is like, uh okay this is fun yeah and then you know i could just see i just kind of see what kind of dog i get on the start line based on how i get him ready for um ready for that run it's very it's very interesting to have to change the entire mentality and in fact actually it's kind of exhausting too trying to go back and forth between yeah. different dogs especially when you're running three in a day and uh each one has a specific need for what they to do to really get them started at that point so yeah i truly do feel like you know that statement there um, definitely applies because I, I mean, picks can have a really great run one day and then that next, that same, another run the next, uh, that same day. Uh, if I don't get him truly prepped the way he should be prepped and he's happy and running, uh, it can be a complete bomb. Um, you know, I, have seen him. In fact, Mary, you can say that you've seen him run in between the tire or underneath the tire. And I'm like, why are you doing this? It was right in front of you. But, uh, those are just, you know, life lessons, you know, even though, yes, I needed that double cue for that weekend. So I didn't have to keep showing. Um, and I was, I was disappointed and frustrated at myself, but you have to do your best to not show that to your dog and not let that leak out to your dog that they failed, even though, you know, we all know they failed at that point. So that's a hard, that is really a hard thing to do. Cause it's like, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed while you're going out there. Cause you spend all this time training. You spend all your extra time outside of work, outside of not going out with friends to, you know, to compete with your dog and making the best. And then you show up and then, you know, well, guess what happened to the trials? You know, my dog who I traveled out of town, I drove four and a half hours and stayed in hotels and spent all that money there. And well, guess what? He messed up. You know, it was my fault. I didn't really read him right. I didn't get the pressure situation right with him to really get him prepped to start that that run there. And, you know, we blew double Q. So I'm like, hey, you know what? It happens. We'll have to try something else next time. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's hard to just not be embarrassed by, especially when you have two other dogs that rock it. And all of a sudden your third dog goes, Haha, no, not doing this today. <laughs> well, and I think that's something else that leads into another thought, which is, don't don't compare yourself to other people and their successes necessarily Absolutely. spend some time really watching some people that you admire that you admire the way their dogs work that you admire the way they handle their dogs you know maybe even by volunteering at some competitions so you can kind of be close and watch and you know yeah those people are going to be amazing but also if you watch enough the thing you're going to see is those dogs fail too and those people make mistakes too and for me, like one of the best learning experiences I had was um, being ringside at the National Obedience Championship. And my first National Obedience Championship, I had been invited before, but I'd never gone. And the first time I went, I was shaking. And understand at this point, I had been in the ring enough that I seldom got nervous showing. And I was literally shaking when I walked in the ring to show Hex. And I, and of course she promptly bombed the very first thing because she was oh. like, who is this weirdo? You know, <laughs> who is this weirdo? <laughs> and that's the last place you want to have your dog's brains leak out as, as the nationals at that point. Right. Well, what it was is here's me at the national obedience championship with a non-traditional breed. And I was so worried that people were going to look at her and think that she earned her odd points to get there out of a specialty because nobody passed, you know, and which right. wasn't true, by the way. Um, <laughs> she got her very first win, her very first weekend out um, with one eye in, in the B classes uh, out of an all breed 
open and open, which is the hardest win to get usually for your watch. So I knew we belonged, but I let the pressure get to me. And, but what was great about that experience is then I sat there when I wasn't competing and I sat ringside and I watched and I watched people who I really admire, who I aspire to be like, I watched people who had won the event in the past. I watched people who would go on in future years to win. And you know what I saw is I saw their dogs screw up too. And that was really eye-opening to me because for whatever reason, I had it in my head that when you went to the NOC, and I'm sure people do that at Agility Invitationals and they do it at Agility Nationals and they do it at UKI, US Open and stuff like that, is they go and they're like, oh my gosh, these people, like they always, they're, they're always perfect and they always lay down clean runs and they always get wonderful scores and whatever. And I watched these fantastic dogs and handlers. I have seen some of the best obedience handlers in the world fail their dogs because they didn't do the right, didn't give their dog the right command and the dog listened to them. I have seen people who won medals, you know, in agility completely forget where they're going on course. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I have seen dogs that are, you know, phenomenal dogs that are phenomenal athletes and agility, phenomenally trained dogs just go out there and be like, huh? And blow something stupid, like a sit on the command discrimination. And, and to me, like to sit there and watch those dogs, you start to go, okay. And obviously those dogs are great. And obviously those handlers are great. And obviously they have way more successes than failures. And for me to watch that happen was extremely, it took a lot of the mental pressure that I'd put on myself off because I was like, when I have mistakes, I'm just one of the other competitors. Like I used to feel like that I stuck out like, Oh my gosh, if my dog does something silly or I do something stupid that, Oh my gosh, there's like big flashing red arrows. Oh my gosh, she screwed up. And it's like, no, everybody does it. And that was so liberating for me. And so like, if you, that's one thing that I would really advise to people is watch some of these great competitors and enjoy them when they're great. But also notice the fact that, they're they're great but they're not perfect and what makes them great is they keep practicing and they try again you know they don't let i remember when i went to my first tryouts with nitro that i was extremely nervous because you know all the all the big shots from around the country show up to this and i'm thinking oh my god i have never competed against any of these because they're on the coast or they're nowhere near me and i don't travel all that much to you know come out and find because at the end of the day you're not competing against them you're competing against yourself in the course now except in the trials case because you are actually competing against them at that moment to have a better time and i saw many times where you know even the great ones either had a rough run uh bombed the course completely there and i had better success than they did and it was vice versa so it's really hard to take a look at a world team member and truly compare yourself because at the end of the day they're a competitor just like you you're they're a human just like you they're gonna make mistakes nobody is perfect and so to you know compare yourself to other people i don't think it does uh yourself justice i don't think it does your training justice i think it's a way to uh maybe aim to make your training a little bit better maybe you saw something that they did that you want to implement to your training to make things better but i think to compare your actual successes uh, to competitors i just don't think that's fair to the dog because every dog every team comes from different backgrounds and has a different uh, different experience for everything like you know we don't all have access to the same trainers uh, as we all like to have right well and the other thing to think about is don't compare yourself like i've seen people compare like maybe they have a dog and somebody else has a litter mate and maybe the litter mate gets in the ring sooner, or maybe the litter mate has some success sooner, or maybe somebody else that you're in class with that has a dog that's about the same age as you is having more success earlier on in their career. And we get really hung up on that. And it's like, you got to remember that every dog is different. Every dog and handler team is different, you know, and just, again, give yourself some grace, like just because, you know, just because somebody else's dog that's a litter mate to yours is having faster success. Well, maybe that dog 
has more aptitude for what you're doing. Or maybe it's just that person is a more success, a more experienced trainer and has, has figured out the key to what helps that dog tick a little sooner. Maybe, right. you know, I mean, you just don't know. You just, so give yourself some grace, let yourself learn and don't get pressured by something that really doesn't matter in the end. It doesn't matter how you do compared to a litter mate or another person in your class or whatever, you know, it just matters right. what you and your dog learn together and how they grow. No, 100% agree with you on that one. I, I think that's more applicable to the litter mate syndrome. I really think that is a so true, uh, especially, well, now that I've had my first litter four years ago, um, seeing the comparison or trying to not compare, you know, dog to dog. I mean, I do that just because, you know, from a breeder aspect, I like to kind of compare, okay, structure of this one dog to my dog versus, you know, brother or sister in that litter. You know, that's one thing, but you know, I had um, a good friend of mine who has Kyber's brother. Uh, she messaged me and she was always worried that, you know, she was the last one to get, you know, her dog into the ring. And I had to keep telling her, go, look, if you're not ready, it's not the end of the world. I'm not worried about it. As long as you give him a good home, you're training him, you're working him, you will show him when you are ready to debut. And, hey, you know what? She went to nationals. She took fifth and uh, fifth and 20-inch uh, nationals last year. And I, I mean, me, I mean, I was ahead of her at the time before Kyber broke his leg and Hey, look, now we're set back and now she's farther ahead. So it really doesn't matter, you know, when you start, as long as it is the time that you have determined, Hey, you know what? I think we're ready to start. You know, timeline doesn't matter when you start. It doesn't matter how you've trained, how you've bonded with your dog and how your teamwork progresses. So now I a hundred percent agree with you. The whole litter mate thing, that is a big thing because I have seen friendships uh, break up over uh, litter mates because somebody's bragging a little bit more and it's kind of rubs it in the wrong way. So no, absolutely. I, I 1000% agree with you on that one. Well, the other thing that I think goes along with that is, and I hear this a lot in my breed because they're up until I think the last few years, people have not necessarily believed that Sammy's could be super su successful performance dogs. And I'm kind of stubborn and have always been like, well, they can do it by God. I'm going to so, show you. I, mean, I can't imagine you're stubborn. I know, man. right? Shocking. <laughs> and so one thing that I've heard a lot is, well, if you would have this dog, they'd have more titles or they'd have gone farther and whatever. And, you know, and I, I really hate that when people feel that way, because first of all, I mean, maybe it is true. I've been training dogs for 34 years and I've trained a lot of different dogs. So, do I have a lot of things in my bag of tricks to help me help a dog understand their job? Yeah. And so can I, a lot of times find some success with a dog faster? Yeah. And also again, back to the stubborn, I'm sort of like, well, I'm going to keep working on this and figure out like, this is really important to me. So I'm going to keep working at this until I figure out what this dog needs to understand their job and perform it well. Well, you know what? If you don't give a rip if your dog has a utility title or you don't care, you know, if you want to do rally novice and do some novice agility and, you know, dabble in some other stuff and that's what you're happy to do, that's fine. The dog doesn't care, you know, and so don't go, well, gee, if you'd had this dog, he could have been a mock, or if you'd had this dog, he could have a UD or whatever. Well, did you have fun with your dog? Did the dog have fun doing stuff with you? Did you learn something along the way? You know, don't get yourself down because, well, somebody else could have done more. The dog doesn't care. My dog does not care that she has, you know, Hex doesn't care that she has a binder full of certificates from the AKC, you know. She cares that we do stuff together, but she doesn't care you know, what titles she wins. She doesn't know all the letters behind her in front of her name. Dogs don't care. So don't, don't, I mean, you're still doing, if you are out there training your dog and doing stuff with your dog, even if you never get a title on them, you are doing more with your dog than the majority of the population. And you're giving your dog a better, more enriching life because of it. So don't, don't compare yourself to somebody who's got 30 or more years of training behind them and is a little obsessed with being like, let's see if I can figure out how to get this dog to understand this. You know, that doesn't have to be your journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, and again, look at the ribbons. You know, yeah, ribbons are great. It's fun to take home. It's fun to post pictures on Facebook about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, when that dog has passed on and they're no longer with us, I mean, ribbons, I mean, you can look at it all day, but, you know, they're just they're just ribbons at that point. You you have the memories. To me, that's, that's what's the exciting part is making those memories with your dog, doing those things. And because I can tell you, you know, the amount of times I've gone hurting. Yeah, I've got hurting championships with Nitro. But you know what? I don't remember getting the championships. I remember, you know, the trips across the country going over to Virginia to actually, you know, compete in the out-of-town trial. And I had never really ever done that in my entire life. And that was the most fun experience I had ever had. I got to work new livestock. I got to work in new courses that I had never really done with Nitro and had to trust them, man. You know, those that's the memory I'm going to remember. I mean, yeah, the championship was great the ribbon's great you know i got a belt buckle for winning a couple things here but at the end of the day i you know give me 10 years i'm not gonna remember what that belt buckle or really what that you know what the belt buckle was one for that's just not something i'll remember but i will remember being at that trial and being in the mud being cold and you know trying not to freeze myself off and try and warm up back up in the van and you know it, those are the times i enjoyed and, you know i have the pictures of nitro being completely covered from head to toe in mud and i absolutely love it and, you know that's those are the memories i will always remember for him exactly and those relationships like that that time you spend with your dog making those memories i mean that's what you know that's what sticks with you like you say it's secondary you know the ribbons the awards the titles I mean, yeah, it's nice to certainly nice to think about it. And certainly you go out there and you have goals, but boy, it's that it's that relationship. It's that the it's the little things, it's those experiences together. Like that's what that's what sticks with you. Right. No, and then you get that whether you have a championship or whether you, you know, have a a novice title. It's it doesn't matter. You still have those memories. Right. Well, let's take for instance like the US Open. That is a so free of ribbons as just regular competitors, because um, at the U.S. Open, it is either you win or you place, but anything for fourth place and lower, you get nothing. You know, you, you have nothing for what you uh, went down there and showed for. So uh, for me, you know, I was on the podium with Nitro uh, for biathlon and I was on the podium with Kyber uh, for biathlon for most of that night. But we didn't finish on the podium there. Uh, and but a couple of people took pictures for me and sent them to me. And honestly, that made the memory for me that weekend right there is, you know what, we were on the podium for a bit. We enjoyed the celebration of what we did for that run. And it was, that would be the memory I always will always remember though. But again, I came home with nothing, no ribbons, no, no souvenirs at all whatsoever from those runs. But at the end of the day, those memories I will always keep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going along with that, so, you know, we're talking a lot about the things you learn from your dogs, the experiences you get. What do you think about the idea of, I've got a young dog, I'm starting to train, and I'm getting into dog sports. Is it a good idea to go out and get another young dog right away? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that was actually on my next list of things to talk about, actually. Um <laughs> Great minds think alike, I, I think, is the, what I'm going to go for here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I hear this quite a bit that, you know, if I get that second dog, it means I'm going to get a second chance on that course. Sure, yeah, you get that. But I remember when it was actually not that long ago. It was probably maybe six months ago. I was at a trial over in Illinois and. Um, I was doing my work from the trial there and somebody uh, created next to me. They came in later and they uh, were talking to me and they noticed that, you know, there's these three dogs that are together and they goes, are those yours? Yep. Yeah, those, those are my dogs. Uh, she was a first time competitor. She goes, man, I, you know what? It, it must be nice to be able to do three dogs and have three shots at that course. I'm going, not really. Cause every single dog that you train, you trial has a, different steering wheel to them, different gas mm -hmm. pedal and it's mentally taxing to be good with three dogs um i'm not bragging about myself because i you know i've been to trials where one dog can just knock it out of the park because i'm just in sync with them and then there's days where you know all three are great and mm -hmm. you know those are those are the great weekends that i absolutely love where i can triple double q and 
believe me, I know Mary knows that I do it because I brag because I'm going, hey, guess what right. we did today? We hit the trifecta, the double Qs, which has only come twice for me so far. And that to me, though, that's impressive. I can pull that off. But going back to the original question, though, uh, you know, if it's your first time being a competitor, first time training dogs, I absolutely do not advise ever getting a second dog, at least until the other one is, you know, around the three to four year mark where you're in a good groove, you've got things settled down and, you know, you can rely on what you're going to get. I mean, that's, that's my feelings on it because multiple dogs, it, it takes a lot out of you. It does. And, you know, I've actually recently did this. Um, and, you know, I'm now training dogs for a living. So I have theoretically the time and um the experience and all that stuff and sonnet was born in march of 2019 and then pepper was born in december of 2019 you know and one thing that i learned from and this is again after over 30 years of training experience is they are such different dogs that even with my experience i had to be constantly reminding myself which dog i had that they were different, that I needed to give each one what they needed. And it was hard for me, even with all the mileage I have and, and, you know, more time to train than a lot of people do. So I think, you know, what you have to think about when you're in dog sports at all, especially if you're new, first of all, do you have the time to devote to give two young dogs the foundation that you want them to give so they have a fair chance of doing what you want to do with them? And then you have to think about, as a trainer, being ready to be mentally and physically and all that stuff flexible enough to give those dogs what they need. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, how every dog teaches you something, give yourself a little time to learn the lessons from dog number one before you go out and get dog number two, instead of, because otherwise you're kind of be, you know, thrown in the deep end of the pool and floundering a little bit you and the dog you know and so i did it both dogs have done pretty well today but i'll be honest with you i wouldn't be in a big fat hurry to do it again plus then there's the whole pain for entry fees and all that other stuff too whereas if you space your dogs out that's a little less painful as well <laughs> you mean like it might double the entry fee a little bit there i mean I got, i've been doing three dogs and it's like four or five hundred dollars a weekend akc it hurts. It hurts the pocketbook because my checkbook's starting to become kind of a little bouncy there. Uh huh. Uh huh. That rubber check, <laughs> rubber checks. The six years don't like those. So, yeah. Right. So yeah. I mean, well, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat myself because you know I did not plan to get picks. That was just completely just out of the blue. It, he just happened to show up. I mean, he didn't just show up. I had to go over to Europe and get him. But uh, yeah. the opportunity just kind of came out of nowhere where. I had spent time talking to the breeder a couple of years before uh, the option, the, the opportunity arrived and uh, it was, you know, right after Christmas and I had already had Kyber for, you know, he was on his second birthday at that point. And the breeder contacts me. He goes, Hey, I have your puppy for you. I'm going, my, my <laughs> puppy. I'm sorry. We haven't talked in six months. What are, what are you talking about here? And so we discussed it and, uh, my plan was to put picks, you know, get picks, put them on the back burner, you know, train him, you know, just kind of get him ready to go. But there was going to be absolutely no rush to trial him. And um, I didn't trial until I, I want to say it was 18, 19 months then before he even saw the ring and he got into it for jumpers and he did way better than I had expected because it was my first time showing a small dog. But again, Kyburn picks totally different ends of the spectrum as far as energy levels required by me to do that. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of living in the same aspect of you are, but, uh, my dogs are, you know, about a little over, I was to say about 15 months apart in age there. So that's mm -hmm. still closer than I would like it, but sometimes you're just presented with that opportunity where you're like, going, I, this is not the best time, but also this could be the dog of the lifetime that you want. And, so right. far, I'd say Pix is, you know, for my first small dog, um, for my first Papillon, I'm really happy with how he's turned out mm -hmm. now. We've had our ups and downs. We've had our bruises and our uh, come to Jesus means about how we're going to handle things back and forth with each other. But we have finally come to that. Uh, we've finally come to that uh, nice, uh, nice in-between meetings there. Yeah. Well, and even so, like, 
make sure people understand that yeah you're saying you got these two dogs there they you know kyber was young when you got picks but he was still you know they're still about 15 to 18 months apart and you've done this before like right you know it's not your first rodeo and it still provided some growing pains that you're like gosh if this hadn't been <laughs> the opportunity you know you probably wouldn't it's not like you'd be like yeah everybody should do this and so keep that in mind coming from people who have trained fair you know putting some mileage and train some dogs saying gosh you know if you're new to this or or if you feel like you're struggling to find the time to train the dog you have now getting another young dog is not going to fix that it's not going to make it better so you know maybe try to work out some more kinks with the dog you've got and then you know because i hate to break it to you too that's the other thing is honestly usually if your dog's not getting it it's probably you you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's always at the top end of the leash is always a problem. Most, 99% of the time, there is that 1% chance there that maybe the dog just isn't the best fit. I mean, it's, it's right. a possibility. Absolutely. But usually, I mean, and obviously dogs have more aptitude for certain things than others and, and everything like that. But generally speaking, if the dog is not understanding it, and especially if you're new to this, Although, gosh, I've had plenty of times where I'm still going, okay, I need to come up with a new way to help my dog understand. Right. It's probably you. So instead of getting another dog, when you haven't figured out how to get the message across with the first one, you know, maybe try to grow as a trainer with young dog number one before you expand to young dog number two and yeah, do everybody involved a favor. Well, and it also brings up a good point that, you know, not every dog is an X dog. Not every dog is a herding dog. Not every dog is an agility dog. Not every dog is an obedience dog. Fit whatever sport it is, because when you get that dog, and I told this to every one of my puppy buyers, they're going, you're buying a puppy from me. This is a very well versatile bred dog. But at the end of the day, you may want to do agility, but this dog may go, absolutely not. I don't enjoy this. I don't want to do this. And therefore, your plans may change. So you may have to look at you know a wider array, wider array of sports to choose from there. So mm -hmm. I, mean, I see so many people just getting a dog just to go do agility. And I think that is the biggest hindrance to getting a puppy to start with, of having mm -hmm. a, this is what you're going to do. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. so say you have a human kid and you go, well, I'm a major league baseball player. And, well, my kid's going to be a right. baseball player, too. That kid may hate baseball by the time they grow up because you're trying to force it on them. Exactly. Exactly. And so you just have to be aware. And the other thing is, is open-minded, aware, and just, and that's another thing where if you can get some more mileage and more experience, if there's a sport that you really, really love, that you really, really want to do, having a little more time and experience may help you pick out the puppy that fits you better to do the stuff you want to do better too, yes. you know, and whereas if you're awfully new, yes. And working with a breeder and getting to know more breeders, the more time you spend training and showing and doing seminars and meeting people, you know, the higher your chances of hooking up with somebody who is going to produce what you're looking for you know yeah so absolutely well and speaking of building relationships that brings me to my next point um building relationship with a vet building relationship with a chiropractor because those are two crucial things that you need in order to have a happy healthy dog at the end of the day um a lot of people you know let's just say a decade maybe a decade and a half ago chiropractors for dogs were not super popular at that point it was not as accessible as it is now and i wish i would have known that you know a decade and a half ago because that would have been phenomenal for dogs that have jumping issues um mm -hmm. that's something i've looked around to in the last let's just say seven to eight years how important it truly is uh for dogs that maintain health um my chiropractor I, I have now, all three of my guys, uh, they see her uh, at least twice a month. Um, most months, mm -hmm. you know, it's twice. Maybe there's a third time in there because they're always being hard on their body. They're always working for me. And even if they're not working for a week, they may still have something just out of place because they stepped wrong or mm -hmm. who knows? They slept wrong for all I could tell you. Right. You know, and like you said, and also having a good relationship with your vet, I've had, I seem to be the queen of 
weird things going wrong with the dog. And one thing that I'm really fortunate with is that I have a vet that listens to me and believes me when I say, hey, there's a problem here. Like, for instance, Hex had lepto and she was vaccinated. And so FYI, if your dog has lepto and they're vaccinated, they will not present looking that sick, or at least Hex didn't, because she's also incredibly tough and is like, no, I'm fine. I can do this. Well, what happened is nothing looked that bad clinically, and it took us a while to figure it out. But I had a vet that went, I believe you when you tell me that there is something wrong with this dog. So I will keep working with you to figure out what's going on. And because of that, my dog is alive and healthy and good to go, you know. So like you say, having a good relationship with the health professionals that are in your dog's life are super important because you just can't, you just can't have a successful dog without it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that comes along with nutrition too, for what you're feeding, because, you know, you really have to look at the, the labels and, you know, everything that you're putting into your dog, you know, is part of their diet on a daily basis. And, you know, me working for Royal Canaan, I've come to have a great understanding and appreciation for what I'm feeding my dogs. And that's, you know, that's been the biggest thing I think that has helped my dogs have a very healthy career. Um, And that to me, like for Nitro, you know, he's 10 years old now. And um, maybe before, if I wasn't working for Royal Cane, I wouldn't have him on a joint support food because I wouldn't know what, what I'm looking for to feed my dogs. And now that I have him on this, He's done amazing. He's moving around a lot better. I, I feel like he can handle doing at least a couple more years of agility at this point in time. Well, I mean, we'll see as as he gets older, but at least right now, I feel like chiropractic work and the nutrition that he's on has given him the ability to come back and run for a couple more years with me, and so we can keep uh, keep dancing out there. So, um, supplements, you know, that's a big thing too. Is you know, talk to talk to people around the country, um, talk to your um, agility community, your dog community about supplements that they use. Because I can tell you, if you see competitors who have been around, like Mary and myself, for several years. We can share our experiences with you and, you know, we can share, you know, what we've done for our dogs at age at that point or not even age, just even younger dogs that might need a different supplement boost there to something mm-hmm. to help them joint support or, you know, heart health or, you know, who knows, there's any number of things that could happen out there. Exactly. And so, yeah, all that stuff. And, you know, sometimes what looks like a training issue is really a health issue. And so doing everything you can to support your dog nutritionally with supplements with good vet work with chiropractic care all that kind of thing body work and then you know it just helps your dog perform at their best because especially since they can't say to you in so many words oh you know my rib hurts a little bit right now or you know gosh my head's kind of sore or gosh I just don't feel quite right you know doing everything you can to support them helps them hopefully not have those moments as often and you know and then they're going to be more successful they're going to be happier to work for you right and that just goes to learning to listen to your dog learning to read your dog um, and that one happens when you don't rush things because i will tell you pix has done some phenomenal runs and then the next day he's had some less than stellar runs and the big difference was he had a mat in his crotch and that was the big difference. And they were so small. I didn't catch him, even though he's groomed out and he's brushed. I mean, it was just a small thing that happened. He either licked himself and they got the little cottony hair, just turned into a little mat. And I didn't know, but you know, God love him. He did still, um, he did try for me, but he was not pushing Mm -hmm. nearly as hard as he was the day before. And, you know, it's something so small that, you know, it's hard to tell. So, you know, when something like that happens, now I have a great understanding of going, let's take a look under the hood and let's see what, uh, what's going on back here. And so, um, yeah, so it's just, just small things like that. Yep. Fire had that kind of thing for my daughter. Um, she was running and it was a trial where it was, uh, it had been rainy and muddy. And so when the dogs went out to potty, you know, they were getting their feet in some mud. There was just no way around it. Well, she managed somehow to get a mud ball stuck up like way up in between her toes. Oh, and so same kind of thing, like she's been running really well. And all of a sudden it's like, what the heck's wrong with Phi? Like she's not running very well. Oh my gosh. Well, we have this wonderful 
um, Sarah, who does my dog's body work every month, like, oh, work on her, something's not right. Well, she's working and working, and well, she's so good. And here she finds this mud ball between her toes. So we pluck the mud ball out, and voila, you know, we get our dog back. And so it's not always that easy. Sometimes they're running funny because their iliosoas hurts or their thyroid is low or their whatever. But it sure is nice when it's, oh, I can pluck this mud ball out or get this mat out from my sensitive areas and all works well again. So. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are, it's so funny how the smallest things can hinder a, um, hinder your dog from being at uh, peak performance. Exactly. I mean, just think of it like, you know, if you have a wrinkle in your sock and you're trying to run, you know, or you're chafing somewhere or you got a little bit of a headache or anything like that, you know, all that stuff it can affect you. Well, that kind of stuff affects your dog too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes along with learning what proper body condition is and making sure your dog is at a healthy weight. Because I, I, my perfect example for that is um, back in November, it was my dogs who I thought were in a phenomenal weight. They looked good. They felt good. Um, and then at the open, my friend's like, you know, kind of look like they're kind of running a little slow. And uh and then she kind of felt them because they kind of feel a little, little chunky and it wasn't much, but for a dog that should weigh, you know, roughly 40 pounds, both Kyber and Nitro were at 48 pounds and they sure didn't feel like they were, you know, that much heavier, but, uh, certainly, uh, I put them on a diet immediately once we got back home and, um, they, it's been six weeks and now I can happily say Kyber is 38, 39, which is where I'm happy to have him at. And Nitro, he's around 40, 41, which I'm fine with cause he's older now and his metabolism has slowed down. So, you know, at least we got that weight off him there, but, um, picks when I weighed him, he was 14 pounds. I mean, that's three or four pounds extra, but when a dog is, you know, 14 pounds and they really should be nine or 10, you know, that's a 25% body increase in weight. And while that's not, you know, it's, it doesn't look like he's overweight. He certainly was not in a good athletic weight. So um, it really just brings in mind, you know, really having to watch how much you feed, how much you exercise. And, you know, those are the big things that really will help boost the performance of your dog. But not only that, but give them a little bit longer life there because you're not stressing out the joints and you're not causing hip dysplasia because they've been overweight for so long. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's important for that to, you know, put your hands on your dog and step them on the scale every now and then, because both of it, like, you know, a gradual change over time. Sometimes we know, oh, maybe they're just a little squishier than they were last week. But, you know, but then somebody else that hasn't felt your dog for a while puts their hands on and goes, oh, gosh, or, you know, stepping on the scale. The other thing to kind of watch, too, is but don't only be married to the scale, because if your dog is building muscle or whatever, they may be putting on some weight where they're actually not putting on body fat. You know, my, for instance, my, um, my old boy that I had before Hex Maestro, when he was in his best shape and running agility and doing obedience. And he had, I mean, we never, we didn't compete in weight pull, but he did pull. He was 53 pounds and lean, 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 like beautiful feeling body, all of his muscle. Well, when he was old and retired and, and and near like his last year or so of life and he wasn't running anymore he was getting he had some arthritis in his spine so it made him a little wobbly so we had to he couldn't do the exercise and he had some heart issues too but then he was down to um like 44 pounds his body rib cover was actually a little more than it was when he was in his best condition of his life but he lost a lot of muscle because he couldn't exercise like he used to so you know, you have to do both to make sure your dog is staying healthy. Put your hands on them and put them on the scale from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have that good relationship with the vet like I do, they're only like 10 minutes from me, but I stop in, you know, once a week, maybe once every other week just to borrow their scale and they're, they love my dog. So that also helps, but it's nice to be able to use that actual veterinary um, professional scale at that point. So I don't have to worry about, it. cause I don't know about you. I can't necessarily afford uh, a professional scale no. at home. No. And I definitely don't want to step on the scale with my dogs anymore. <laughs> often than I hey, this is about the dogs, not about you right now. <laughs> you know, but yeah, absolutely. And the thing is your vets, having worked for a vet, I can tell you that a lot of the dogs that come through, 
tend to be overweight and significantly overweight. So a vet is very appreciative when they have a client that is really concerned about their dog's body weight. With that caveat, I will say because veterinarians tend to see a lot of extremely overweight dogs, and they also tend to see a lot of patients that are a lot of clients, I mean, that are not terribly receptive to the idea of putting their dog on a diet. Make sure when you talk to your vet, you're really clear that this dog is an athlete. This is not just a pet, you know, because what a vet will tell you is maybe acceptable for a pet dog hanging out may not necessarily be acceptable for a dog that's jumping a lot. Um, and because they're so used to being ignored, um, you may need to probe a little deeper when you talk to the vet and make sure they understand that you want this dog, not just at a, not going to drop dead from heart disease weight, but a athletic, healthy fit weight. So they can help guide you in that a little bit if you're not sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are the best things. That's, that's why we emphasize build that relationship with your vet so that way we can have those discussions in good faith with them that, you know, what if, you know, you're out on the road and something happens and you need a prescription for, you know, a muscle relaxer or an anti-inflammatory. I know I can call my vet and go, hey, this is what happened. And my vet is happy to give me a prescription and send it to whatever my local pharmacy is, wherever I'm at in the country there. And I'm super thankful that they will do that for me because not every vet, especially if you don't have that relationship with them, mm -hmm. they don't always want to do that for you. So that's, you know, definitely build that relationship with your vet. It's super important for you. Absolutely. And that means that you have to be communicative and that means you have to make regular appointments. And that means you have to be an involved part of your dog's care. And then the, you know, and like you say, then the vets, cause they want your dogs to be healthy. They want, they want, your dogs to be fit and healthy and last a long time. And, but you got to do your part as a client as well, if you want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest things that is on my don't list is don't overtrain your dog. I know we talked about that yeah. earlier as, but I don't think we truly covered it enough that overtraining your dog leads to, weakness, tiredness, soreness, and then eventually ends up in injury. And right. Absolutely. I, I just hate seeing that because I, I don't think a 15 month old should be in the agility ring working at a master's level. I, to me, that goes, Oh, you've definitely have overtrained your dog at that point. Maybe not. You know, there are some exceptions where some dogs are just naturally gifted that they get everything quickly and voila you know you get to run through novice and open real quick and then even looking at hurting like you know some dogs that you know that we are allowed to go in at 12 months with them and mm -hmm. uh i i think that you know working on a daily basis is great but i think there's a point in time where there is working daily but over training though too because you can work daily there's nothing wrong with that if you're reinforcing what a five minute drill here and there nothing wrong with that but you know you do have to give your dog rest you know that's to me it's like humans why would you want to just work yourself to death every single day but not sleep for more than a couple hours a day you've got exactly. to give rest let the body heal up and in addition to the body healing up you got to let their mind heal up too you know just think about it if you had to be on your game all the time you know work 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 you know there's a reason humans take vacation from time to time and you need to, yeah, well, some humans take vacations, you know, but you know, do you ever get home from work at the end of a long day and you're just like, I can't even anymore. And you, you know, turn on some mindless TV or you play a game or you do something that's just mindless, or you just kind of sit there like a lump and just kind of zone out for a while. You know, you got to allow your dog that same grace and, sometimes you'll get farther in a competition or in a training session or whatever by just backing off and making it not so hard for a while. And keep in mind, if you had a really rough session one day, whether physically rough or mentally rough, maybe the next couple of days plan something a little easier, let them recover mentally and physically, and then go back and do something tougher again. Right. And then there's some days where you have a rough training session and you think the dog literally picked up nothing, but you go back out the next day and the dog's been doing it and dog does it like it's been doing it forever. And it's me training by osmosis. is kind of fun to watch actually happen. 
Uh-huh. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. And then along with that training, like one thing that I want to touch on is remember, keep in mind that you can make training whatever you want. You know, you can go out and you can train so that you have all the skills and work for all the speed to try to be on a world team, or maybe you want all the precision to get a 200 and have an notch dog, or maybe you want to go out there and you just want to get a 171 and get your title by the skin of your teeth. And maybe you want to go out there and just, you want to make it around a novice jumpers course with two refusals and, and get your leg. That's okay. No matter the beauty of dog sports is you can make them what you want, but, but there's always a, but <laughs> do not go train your dog to just barely pass, go to a show and just barely pass and be upset that your dog just barely passed. You know, you can make it what you want, but then you got to go to the show and be realistic. And, you know, don't go to the show and watch somebody who's trained for a 200 and come away with a 199 and you train for a 180 and come away with a 179 and be upset with your dog because your dog actually did pretty much exactly what you trained it to do. And kind of going back to what we said earlier, you know, not comparing yourself to others, whatever. Appreciate your dog that they did the effort that you trained them to do. And, you know, like I don't... Absolutely. I don't go to a show. I don't go to an agility trial with my daughter, who's a two-time member of the EO team. I don't expect my dog. My dog doesn't have the skills her dog has. My dog doesn't have the speed her dog has. And you know what? That's okay. I don't go out there and go, oh gosh, yeah, okay, I got this cue, but I didn't run as well as Natalie did. Well, of course I didn't. I don't put the work in that she does. My dog is not the same kind of athlete that hers is. That's fine, you know, but go to the show and enjoy what you got out of it with your dog. Don't, don't be upset with your dog for doing exactly what you trained him to do. Yeah, absolutely. No, cannot agree with you more than that right there. Uh, but I think on that note, I, I think that uh, about does it for us tonight. If you have any questions about training or have thoughts you want to run by us about on do's and don'ts or maybe getting a second dog getting that second puppy right away you know come talk to us we're happy to happy to discuss that uh with you there and definitely uh no uh nothing against anybody who wants to get a second dog or get that second puppy right away but just know that there are the uh, caveats to it and the holes that can happen with training for two dogs so but to each their own at that point there those are just our thoughts for the night mary do you have anything you want to wrap up for tonight I was just going to say, you know, hey, if you guys have a fun story about a live and learn experience that you've had or something funny or something you wish you'd known, you know, post it on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear it. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys. Um, some fun comments. Maybe that would be a fun follow up show in the future. We could get some stuff on. But, you know, one of the beauties of this is it's a it is a sport where you can have a lot of camaraderie. So share some of your experiences, the things you've learned, the puppies you got that you maybe wish you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> because of the timing um you know embarrassing things that have happened at a show because we've all had them and you know share some on our facebook page and let's all have a good laugh or a good learning experience together absolutely well until next time have a great parking night and we'll see you next time have a great night guys Hey guys, Jeff here. If you like this podcast, remember to pet that follow button so you can stay up to date with the latest content and episodes and check us out on Facebook at Four Paws Sports. Until next time, have a great barking day.